conference uh, I said last week, because uh, that was our last study in Paul, and uh, last minute change, I decided uh, to do one more study. And uh, we all like to know how a story ends. If you're reading a biography or an autobiography, you want to know what happened in the end to that person. And uh, so tonight, I thought we should, uh, rather than uh, end that particular point, which would have been fine, uh, to just take in on one more, one more study and look at the end of the Apostle's life, from the time uh, that he was in his first imprisonment uh, in AD 61 or so, uh, down to the end of his uh, second imprisonment in AD 68, and then, uh, of course, which was followed by his uh, martyrdom. So looking at that kind of period uh, uh, tonight. Now there's not much uh, really for us uh, to go on, but we would like to know a little bit more than what uh, happened, isn't it? When you read Acts 28 and those final verses, that's Paul's first imprisonment. And uh, you'll, you hear about what, what, what was happening there. And in Acts 28 verses 30 and 31, we read that Paul dwelt two whole years AD 61 to 63, uh, in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And that's how Luke ends it. And you wish, I'm sure you like me, that he had gone on. You wish there was a second book of Acts uh, to tell us, well, what happened after that to Paul? Because we know that wasn't the end, that wasn't his final imprisonment, that was his first imprisonment. So what happened between his first imprisonment and uh, his second? We're all curious, I'm sure, uh, to know. Uh, we don't have a narrative account of what happened, like in Acts, but we can draw some information uh, from his letters which he wrote after his first imprisonment. So the letters that he wrote, uh, which we uh, uh, grouped together as pastoral letters. The letters to Timothy, those two letters, and the letter to Titus, they're the pastoral letters. And you can draw a fair bit of information uh, from there. And you can also go a little bit to tradition and even to some of the early Christians at that time, people like uh, Clement and Eusebius, uh, to draw snippets of information because they mention him uh, in their writings. So this is my intent, just to give us a very quick uh, overview of uh, his final uh, years uh, here in this world. Now here in this first imprisonment, you remember the long journey on that ship and uh, the things that had happened to it. We covered that in a previous study. I'm not going to go uh, through that. But he ends up in Rome and uh, here in Rome he's allowed, <laughs> instead of being cast into a cell, He's allowed to hire his own uh, home, to rent a room, and uh, friends were able to come and to visit him. No man, uh, we, we read, uh, forbidding him, and he was able to teach. Well, that sounds like quite a cushy uh, prison, like some of our modern-day prisons. They seem very, it seems like a very cushy and comfortable imprisonment for Paul. Uh, comfy is probably a little bit of an exaggeration, uh, but it was a mild kind of imprisonment really. And probably one of the reasons why he was allowed and allocated uh, such a, a space where he could more or less 
do uh, uh, receive as many people as he wanted and have his own place is because of the, the way he'd uh, been on that ship. He was there with the Roman soldier and uh, the other Roman soldiers and the other prisoners, and he proved himself to be a very upright, honest man, and he was the one really instrument through which God used to save all that were on the ship. In fact, when you read that account, it's like the roles of Paul. Paul is there, he's a prisoner, and he becomes like the captain of the ship, and he's directing what should be done and what shouldn't be done, and it's, it's amazing. And uh, the, the Roman uh, centurion who's leading the, the group and is in charge of the soldier is listening to what Paul is saying. But he feels some measure of indebtedness. And no doubt when he got back, uh, he spread the word. This is what Paul did for us. He put in a good word, we could say, uh, for the apostle. And so uh, most likely because of that, uh, he was allowed a greater measure of freedom. But not entirely free because he also had, you, as, a, as a prisoner, he still had a soldier who was chained to his leg 24 by 7. And this was uh, how uh, he had to live, uh, constantly uh, having, having a great measure of freedom, but at the same time having that uh, soldier uh, next to him. While in prison, he's awaiting his trial. He's not immediately uh, brought before uh, Caesar. He's appealed to Caesar, and he had to wait his time. He had no idea when that was going to happen. In the end, it took uh, two years. Uh, but uh, Nero was the, the Caesar of the time. If you know anything about Nero, well, he was a, a murderous and a wicked man, uh, beyond description, really. And, uh, but here is Paul waiting uh, for that trial uh, and the, the time to speak uh, for himself. Well, in this first imprisonment, what did he do? What did he, how did he occupy uh, his time? Well, we're given some indication of it here in Acts. He, of course, had, we could say firstly, a lot of time on his hands. And that would have been something a little bit irksome uh, for the Apostle Paul uh, to manage. Here was a man who was so used to going from A to B. He was so used to being busy, so used to be active. Yet there wasn't enough time in the day for him to do all that he wanted to do. He had so much zeal for the Lord and so much on fire for the Lord. He was here and there and everywhere. He was a man of unceasing activity. But now, here he is in Rome and he's uh, in, in this restricted place. And uh, he's, remember, he always wanted to get to Rome. That was his desire. When he wrote that letter to the Romans, he put at the end, he hadn't as yet been there. But he said this was his desire uh, to come and to visit uh, Rome to impart uh, spiritual uh, blessing to them. And now here he is. He's in Rome. Rome at that time was some 12 miles uh, from one end to the other end and had some 2 million uh, inhabitants in the city. And it was, was a bustling place. There were, of course, the, the, some of the, uh, the, there were the nobles, but it was mainly populated by slaves. But there were people from all different classes and all different trades. And it was a, a very commercial place as well. And a lot of activity. It was a, ideal for the apostle. And he saw so many opportunities in there to go preaching, of course, in the synagogues that were there. There were many Jews there. And he saw opportunity to go onto the streets and into the square of the, of the, of the place uh, to preach. But he can't. 
His, his hands are tied, he's handcuffed, you could say, and he's restricted uh, from doing what in his heart he, he wanted to do. And he had to adapt uh, to his new set of circumstances. And uh, this was something uh, he was always, in a sense, having to do. Remember how in Philippians 4.10 he talks about, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be uh, content. And he's talking there about whether he was in a, had a lot or whether he was in a state of, of poverty. He'd learned uh, to adapt. And here again, he is uh, having to learn uh, to adapt uh, to these new circumstances. And it's a lesson for us, isn't it, as well? We may be plunged into circumstances that we never expected. And we may, we may be because of a sickness or a sudden a trial that happens, sudden accident, or maybe because of old age, we are uh, put into a situation where this is not me. <laughs> this is not what I'm like. This is, this, uh, this is contrary uh, to what I am like as a person. But we, we, maybe the Lord's teaching us we have to adapt uh, to those particular circumstances. So Paul uh, is, is restricted in this way. But though he couldn't do as much as he would like to do, uh, he did what he could. And that's always a principle for us as well. And here, of course, with that soldier uh, who was tied uh, to him, chained to him rather, he must have uh, had opportunity, not opportunity, he must have spoken uh, to each one of those soldiers. I don't know how long their shifts were, maybe four hours at a time, four hours at a time, well, that's, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's six Six soldiers, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, and he multiplied by number of days. And it's a lot of people. He would have been had the opportunity to share the gospel, to talk to them about their immortal soul, the need for salvation. Here were these men who'd seen horrific things and maybe had bloodied their own hands in warfare. And Paul is now has the opportunity to talk to them about forgiveness in Christ, a new life, a pardon, a new heart, and spiritual things. And not instead of fighting for an earthly kingdom, fighting uh, for uh, the heavenly kingdom, and he's able to talk. There were the soldiers who were familiar with all the talk that was going on in the Roman barracks, and you can imagine, and the lifestyle that was happening there. And yet, here he is, he has a captive uh, audience. And of course, we yeah, we know that he, he drew from even these contacts uh, with the soldiers to, uh, to give us that wonderful picture in, Rome, in Ephesians chapter 6 of the soldiers' uh, armory. And there he was. It's taken. That was, epistle was written during the time of that first imprisonment. And uh, you can read that uh, for, for yourself. Then other things which happened, well, of course, he had uh, visitors. There were people... Uh, from the Jews and the Gentiles who were interested in the Christian sect and what is happening, and they, they gathered to him. And then there were elders, of course, who would have come uh, from the, the church at Rome. Uh, they would have received that letter a few years previously, and they would have no doubt wanted Paul to elaborate on those things and wanted uh, to uh, draw things, to pick on his wisdom, draw from his wisdom, and they would have availed themselves. Paul is now in Rome. He's not in the ideal position, but here he is uh, in Rome, 
and they were very, uh, very uh, willing uh, or very glad that now at last they could see uh, him face uh, to face. And then, of course, uh, there was that man Onesimus, that slave who'd run away all the way from Asia Minor. He'd run from his master, escaped from his master without permission. He'd run away, made his way all the way across uh, to Rome, and uh, somehow got, in, uh, got uh, in contact with the Apostle Paul. Somehow he came across a slave, uh, got, uh, got uh, near to the Apostle Paul, and through the Apostle Paul came to know the Lord through his ministry. And then uh, he was sent back, as you know, as a beloved brother uh, to his master, uh, Philemon. And then friends came to him as well and visited him in that prison, Timothy, Luke, Epaphras, and, uh, uh, and others. But while he is there, also especially he is thinking about his spiritual children, his, the churches that he has planted. The care of all the churches, he said, is upon me daily. This is what was on his mind constantly. So he was praying much, we are sure, uh, making use of that time uh, to intercede uh, for them and uh, wondering how it was uh, with the churches. What is happening? Are they standing strong? They didn't have the communications we have today. It's so easy for us to, to know what's happening in different parts of the world. We know uh, within, uh, within a few minutes what's happening. But there, of course, they hadn't uh, those things. But when people came, when the messengers came uh, from, uh, uh, from those churches, and they came with good news. Oh, how it rejoiced the Apostle Paul's heart to, to hear these things, that the, the, the brethren are standing strong. If they came with errors, then he, of course he was grieved. Or they came with questions, and he would get ready to answer those questions as, as we read in some of those epistles. That he was uh, blessed even by the church at Philippi. They sent provisions and an offering uh, for him. But it was during this time, friends, that he wrote uh, those uh, inspired and priceless letters, those prison letters, as we call them. And that was probably the most important part of that time that he had spent uh, in prison. This was his most important activity, penning those letters, the Ephesians, the Philippians, uh, Colossians, and uh, Philemon. And uh, well, <laughs> you know about Ephesians and the depths of Ephesians and how uh, tremendous uh, a letter it is. Well, all that uh, was written during this first imprisonment. And then, uh, towards, uh, in AD 63, uh, was the actual time of Paul's uh, trial. It had finally arrived when he stood before uh, Nero. Well, will he be acquitted or condemned? Is this the end of his ministry? Or is he going to be allowed more time uh, to, uh, for more labor? That was his desire. Well, actually, he says, my desire is to go, to be with Christ, he tells the Philippians. It's much better. But he says, it's necessary for me to remain and to be with you, he, said, he wrote to the Philippians. And he seems, uh, even in that imprisonment, he seems to have had a strong intimation that this was not the end for him, that he would be given a chance to labor uh, more. And uh, he, we see this in Philippians 1, verse 25, where he says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide 
and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And then in Philemon 1 verse 22, he said to him, <laughs> this is language of faith, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given uh, to you. So he was quite sure that uh, his, his ministry uh, hadn't come to an end. And he was right, because the charges against him uh, came to nothing, and Paul is acquitted, and he is released uh, from uh, prison. Now, what did he do after his imprisonment, and after his, uh, sorry, after his release? Well, no doubt he would have visited the church at Rome and spent some time there uh, before most likely uh, heading east, as he had said, uh, to keep his word, to, to visit those churches and those uh, people that he'd mentioned, and the churches that he had planted, and uh, even ones that, uh, who hadn't seen his face, but wanted to see him, and he wanted to see them. Well, now was his opportunity. So he heads back uh, to Asia Minor and to Macedonia. And again, you, what, a, what a joyful reunion that must have been when they saw the Apostle Paul coming through the doors and coming into the, the church fellowship and uh, how blessed and happy uh, that must have been uh, for them. Now, it's uh, often asked, uh, did Paul visit Spain? Did Paul visit Spain? He wanted to visit Spain, we know that. That was his desire, you can see that in Roman, Romans chapter 15 and verse 24. That was his plan to visit Spain. But of course, that first Im Im imprisonment uh, uh, threw up his uh, plans in the air, and uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't do that. But now, now that he is out and he is free, uh, he has that opportunity again, and it does seem as if he did visit uh, Spain. He did get uh, his desire, uh, because uh, most likely, uh, he, after having visited the churches in Asia Minor, in AD 64 now, uh, he makes his journey to Spain. Now, we have no scripture text I can point you to and say, here it is, here's confirmation. But uh, we do hear from uh, Clement, who is mentioned in Philippians 4, verse 3, and who later became the elder, the bishop of the, the church at Rome. Uh, he was writing from Rome to Corinth, and uh, he said this in one of his letters, Paul had preached the gospel in the east and the west. And he goes on to say, and had gone to the extremity of the West before he was uh, martyred. So the extremity of the West being Spain. So it's a non-biblical source, but quite a, a reliable source, suggesting that he did, after all, uh, make it to Spain. But we cannot say it with absolute uh, certainty. But uh, it's thought if he was there, he would probably have spent around two years uh, there, giving him uh, sufficient time establish a church uh, there. So then we move on uh, to AD uh, 66, and there we see Paul uh, heads back uh, east uh, from Spain uh, to Ephesus. Heretical teachers uh, have risen up in the church, just as he had warned those elders in Acts chapter 20, of your own selves, people are going to rise up. And it seems to have happened uh, in the church. People were risen up who were leading away the believers, some of the believers after themselves. 
There are other errors in the church at that time, corrupting the pure gospel. The Gnostics uh, were, were gaining as well. But uh, as Paul uh, couldn't stop too long in Ephesus, uh, we, we discovered that he, uh, uh, he had to leave uh, the, uh, Ephesus and he, had to, he want, wanted to go into Macedonia, so he had to leave the care of the Ephesian church in the hands of young uh, Timothy. And he had to charge him to deal very firmly with those heretical uh, teachers. And so Paul left for Macedonia, and it's from there that he wrote uh, 1 Timothy, uh, and probably made, uh, from there made his way uh, to Crete, uh, where he, we read he left Titus to set in order the churches, to uh, establish elders in the church there, and so on. That was left uh, to uh, to uh, Titus, and from there he seems to have gone uh, back again uh, to Ephesus, where he wrote uh, the letter to Titus itself. And uh, it's, it's, it's good to have this background knowledge because when you're reading the scriptures and you know, and you can picture where Paul is and what some of the things are happening in and what stage of his life he wrote it, what you're reading then suddenly has picture and color to it. And you're able to, it makes more sense uh, when you're reading those particular letters. So do bear that uh, in mind. But in uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 12, we see that uh, Paul said to Titus, uh, Be diligent uh, to come to me at Nic Nicopolis. Uh, Nicopolis was in uh, Macedonia, and uh, that's where Paul desired uh, Titus to meet him. But uh, it was here, so it seems, that Paul was actually rearrested. This was uh, his second arrest, and it was from here, it seems, that he was sent uh, to Rome. And we may ask the question, why? We know the reasons why he was arrested the first time, but why was he arrested the second time? Well, what led up to these things? Well, to answer that question, uh, we first need to remind ourselves of an appalling event that happened in A.D. 64. And uh, in A.D. 64, an event happened that turned the tide completely for believers. An event happened that resulted in the immediate persecution of believers. And you know the event. The event is the Great Fire of Rome. That took place in A.D. 64, destroying a great part uh, of uh, Rome, and uh, in all likelihood, the culprit who started it was Nero himself. And yet to deflect blame from himself and to deflect attention from himself, he points the finger of blame at the Christians. And he says, they've done it. And uh, the, uh, the immediate uh, reaction of the people, an overnight reaction, well, the believers in Rome and elsewhere all Christians suddenly, before they'd had liberty, they'd had, could go about doing what they were doing, witnessing, suddenly, as a result of this accusation, they became obnoxious to the Romans. And they, became, they came under very <coughs> severe persecution. You know about the, some of the persecution. Many were crucified for their faith. Many were uh, covered in animal skins, and then they were hounded uh, by dogs. Others were, were immersed in, in, in uh, flammable oil. 
And uh, then they would set a light in Nero's own garden to act as like torches uh, in the night. And people would come and would, would, would stand be, uh, at the base of these people who, are, who have been set alight. And it was awful. And it's not just one or two friends. A great multitude uh, perished uh, because of this, all falsely accused of that crime of setting a light uh, to Rome. Well, Paul is a leader in the Christian church. So, of course, he's going to be a target. And that's what happened uh, most likely here. Uh, he is, it, it's suggested he may even, uh, while he was at Rome in AD 63, he, uh, in his, at, at the end of his first imprisonment, that he, he actually incited the people to do this act, in, uh, in the, which happened a year later. He incited the believers to ignite the fire, which, of course, was uh, utter nonsense. Uh, but uh, the people who no doubt captured uh, Paul uh, thought they'd done something tremendous. And no doubt uh, when they sent uh, Paul in, as a prisoner in chains, they would have thought that would be most pleasing to the emperor. Well, I'm sure currying favor uh, with the emperor. So uh, once again, we see that Paul uh, is, uh, finds himself back in a Roman uh, prison. Only this time, it's not so comfortable. And this time, uh, it's not so mild as before. And he's uh, thrown into a dungeon. And it's from here, in this uh, dungeon even, in AD 68, uh, that he writes his final letter uh, to Timothy. And just as we come to a close, I just want to go through some of these things that he tells us in that last chapter in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Uh, he tells us, we could say firstly, about uh, he had two hearings, two court appearances. He tells us about his first uh, appearance then in uh, verse 16 and 17 of chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. At my first answer, no man, my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. There was Paul having to defend himself all alone. No one wanted to stand with him. People were afraid, and you can understand it. The persecution was great. You know, sometimes we may read, say, well, how come nobody stood with him? <laughs> but no one wanted to be his barrister. No one wanted to represent him because uh, to be a friend of, uh, in public of Paul or an advisor to him put your own life uh, in danger. And, uh, but here Paul, he says, I stood alone, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And uh, he was able, he says, to preach, not to a small group, but to uh, a full house. Uh, he made known uh, the gospel uh, to them. Uh, a, a crowded audience uh, heard what he had to say. Alexander was there, the coppersmith, who was opposing him. Uh, but Paul was able, at this time, uh, to successfully uh, defend himself, and he was delivered uh, out of this first trial, but he was still remanded in prison. And uh, uh, the second hearing, well, he thought 
perhaps that's going to be a, 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 a long delay before that happens, rather like the first imprisonment. And so in verse 13, he tells Timothy, Look, Timothy, I, the cloak I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. He's cold. <laughs> I'm sure he, in the prison cell, he didn't have enough clothing. He needs uh, some extra uh, earthly comfort. And the books, but especially the parchments he wants, uh, he's got so much uh, on, his, on his mind, he wants uh, still to do and to learn. And so he wants to read uh, those particular things. So he asks Timothy to bring that. And... Uh, he, but how was, how was he feeling as well, we could ask, during that time? He didn't expect, we know, uh, to be acquitted. We, he knew that this now would lead to his, his death. And he says that in verse 6, I'm now ready to be offered, and uh, the time of my departure is at hand. And he goes on to say, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. The righteous judge. He was going to stand before Nero, the, un the most unrighteous man probably of that time, the most unjust person, man who had murdered his own family, killed uh, his, his uh, wife, his mother's blood was upon uh, his own hands. A man who was an immoral person, a pleasure seeker. This was, he's contrasting even in these words, this is the judge I have to stand on in this earthly trial, but I'm going uh, to stand before the Lord, the righteous judge, the one who knows all things and who's just and who knows me uh, as his child. And that's uh, what he brings in uh, here very uh, nicely. But you see how he, he slips uh, that in. But uh, even though he was, I'm sure, uh, at rest in the Lord, he had a longing in his heart also for earthly companionship. And we see this also in uh, verse, verses 10 and onwards. Demas, he says, has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica, Crescens to Gal Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, bring him with thee, for he is profitable for me, for the ministry. Tychicus have I sent to uh, Ephesus. And so he's, he's longing for uh, earthly friends and brethren to come. One person who did, and we mentioned him on Sunday, uh, one person who did go looking for him and didn't, in a sense, uh, wasn't so concerned about what was going to happen to him, was Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus went to looking for him uh, and searching for Paul in chapter 1. Uh, Paul tells us this, the Lord, verse one, chapter 1, verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him, that he may find mercy in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So here was a soul uh, who really was a, a loyal friend uh, to the apostle. There were others, and they are mentioned there in verse 21 of chapter 4, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. 
but he especially longed for one person. He longed to see one person above all before his departure. And that was, of course, Timothy, young Timothy. And so twice over in this chapter, he says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me as quick as you can. And verse 21, do thy diligence to come uh, before winter. Did he meet Timothy? Did Timothy get to see him? Well, we hope so. We hope uh, that he did, but uh, we cannot say uh, for sure. Uh, Nero's, sorry, uh, Paul's second, uh, Paul's second uh, trial uh, ended with him being condemned, and uh, he was uh, condemned to death, and he was led out to execution uh, beyond the city walls, and he was uh, there decapitated. And that happened just before Nero's death in June uh, AD 68. So somebody said, uh, as Paul was leaving uh, Rome, as he was led out of the city of Rome, his eye would have caught in the place where he was uh, the, the pyramid of uh, Caius Cestius. And uh, Caius Cestius was a, a Roman governor and he was buried and it's, this pyramid it's still there, you can visit it now, it's a tourist attraction. But it's, I say this because later on that particular place became the burial ground for Protestants who were, who were martyred and killed uh, by Rome. So uh, have a look at that, it became a Protestant cemetery. So Paul uh, here dies, uh, a martyr, he wasn't crucified a big, or he wasn't put in set light as the others because of his uh, Roman citizenship in, in all likelihood, but he's martyred uh, for the faith, and he ends his life uh, here uh, in Rome. Here is one who lived in devotion uh, to Christ, and now he has entered into his rest, and a well-earned rest it is. Uh, his, he being dead uh, yet speaks. He, his legacy uh, lives on, as we said at the beginning of the, the series. Uh, his words are heard uh, everywhere. His words are preached from, his words are read in private, his words are read in public. Of course, it's the inspired word of the Holy Spirit. But what a blessing it is that we have this inspired word and inspired life uh, to, to lead us and uh, to learn uh, so many things from. Well, may God bless us in these things. Amen. Amen.